if you have uh, your copy of God's Word, I know we're going to ultimately land in uh, the Gospel of John, but why don't you open up with me to, to Exodus 28. I want to begin here this morning. And in the Old Testament, the, the priests of Israel were commanded to, to wear very special clothing that, that marked them out as being in service to God, but their, how their clothing was made and, and what their clothing consisted of uh, was also a reminder of what they were to uh, do and what they were to be as priests, representing the people of Israel before a holy God. So Exodus 28, if you look at verse 6, it, it describes what uh, the priest, uh, the high priest was to wear. It says, They shall also make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen, the work of, skill, of the skillful designer. And it shall have two shoulder pieces joined to its two ends, that it may be joined. The, the skillfully woven band which is on it shall be like its workmanship of the same material of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. And you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the second stone according to their birth. As a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them all around in filigree settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before Yahweh on his two shoulders for remembrance. And so the, the idea is that when uh, the, the high priest would, would go into uh, the tabernacle or into the, the temple, uh, that he would have the, the names of the, the, the tribes of Israel on his shoulders. Uh, and that's what, a, that's what a priest does. He, he represents a people before God. Uh, and so uh, the priest, when he would come in and uh, give uh, uh, or make atonement for uh, the people, he has uh, their names literally on his vest and on his shoulders. Uh, and at the same time, when the priest would come in and pray uh, on behalf of the people, he, he was in essence symbolically carrying the people in with him. Uh, and, and that was the, the idea of, of carrying in the people of God and lifting them up uh, before God as he prayed and as he did all of his priestly uh, responsibilities. Uh, and, uh, and this is a, a picture of what we see Christ doing for us and for every believer uh, here in John 17 of what we've been uh, looking through uh, over the last few weeks. You can, you can turn over there. Uh, of, as we, we come to, to John 17... Uh, we, we come to uh, the final night of Christ's earthly ministry. Uh, over the, the course of the last few chapters, chapters 13 through, through 16, we have seen uh, the, the final night and how Jesus spent uh, that time with his disciples. Uh, we saw him uh, get up and, and wash the, the feet of the disciples at the beginning of chapter 13. Uh, and then after, after washing all uh, the feet of the, the twelve, uh, he announced that one of those twelve was going to betray him. Uh, and uh, nobody could fathom that. Uh, and under some pretext over that, uh, at the end of that time, uh, Judas got up and, and he left. Everybody kind of presumed he had some other uh, work to, to do in caring for the poor. He was the one in charge of the, the money box. Uh, and they thought he was going up to, to make some preparations. But he actually got up to go and betray 
Christ. Uh, and so once Judas leaves, that, leave, that uh, it's just Jesus with the 11 faithful disciples. Uh, and from that point forward, Jesus is going to, to seek to prepare them uh, for his departure. He's going to be leaving, uh, and he, he's trying to, to, to set them up to, to be in a good place to, to minister moving forward. Uh, and his departure, his death, uh, is going to, to rattle them to the, the core. Uh, that, that's what we, we're going to see in, in chapters 18 and, and 19. But when, when Jesus gets arrested, uh, even though they had all said, we will stand, they all flee for their lives. Uh, they run away. And so Jesus is, is seeking to prepare them for the, this uh, discouraging reality that he is no longer going to be with them. And uh, he, he instructed them in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. But at the end of chapter 14, what we saw is that they, they got up from the upper room where they had eaten the, the Passover meal. And they started walking. And they're walking uh, out of the city to, uh, they're going to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the east uh, uh, eastern border of the city on the, the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives. Uh, and that's where Jesus is going to go and pray. And he's ultimately going to be betrayed in the Garden uh, of Gethsemane. Uh, but they're, they're walking through the city uh, during chapters 15 and 16. And we don't know exactly where uh, chapter 17 was prayed. Uh, we don't know where this took place or when it took place. Uh, but it, it might have been that Jesus and the disciples stopped off in somewhere near the temple or at the temple grounds itself. And Jesus lifted this prayer up to God in the temple grounds. Or it could have been that he was walking. We can't be for, for sure. Now, but what we can be uh, sure of and what we should be amazed by are the contents of Jesus' prayer here in John chapter 17. As he prays on behalf of the 11 disciples and of all uh, believers. Uh, in, in prior weeks, we've, we've seen that Jesus began this prayer uh, focused upon the, the glory of God. If you look at chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, and having finished the work which you have given me to do, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. We see at the very beginning of Christ's prayer, uh, his entire earthly focus has been all about glorifying God the Father, of, of accomplishing the mission that he was sent to the earth uh, to fulfill and to complete, to, to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and then to, uh, to be raised again on the third day. Uh, and that is the, the redemption that he accomplished, and all who look to him in faith uh, receive uh, that salvation that he accomplished on our behalf. Uh, and so he, that was the mission that he was sent for uh, and that he's about, on, about to complete. Uh, and in, in verses 6 through 10, uh, Jesus is, is really going to kind of give a, a report and, and he's going to echo back to God and saying, Hey, I have fulfilled what you have called me to do, what you have commanded me to do, uh, I have done. Now, in verses 6 through 10, which we looked at last week, was kind of a, a ministry report uh, after his time with the disciples. And Jesus uh, says this to God the Father in his prayer. He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. and They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. 
And now they have come to know that everything that you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. So Jesus gives this report, and then in verses 11 through 19, he's going to, to shift his focus again, and he's going to begin to, to pray for the 11 disciples, those uh, immediate group of men that had been entrusted to his care, uh, and those 11 men are going to be the foundation of the church moving forward. But in verse 11 uh, through 19, he's going to make two big petitions, two big requests uh, of God the Father. And uh, the first of those requests uh, is in verse 11. Uh, he's, he's going to ask God to, to keep them, to keep the disciples, to preserve them. And then in verse 17, uh, he's going to ask God the Father to sanctify them by the truth. Now, we're just going to look at 11 through 16 uh, this morning, but I want to read through 11 uh, through 19 uh, together. Uh, Jesus continues in verse 11. He says, And I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. And while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And so as, as we look at this first petition that Jesus prays on, for the disciples uh, th- this morning, uh, there's, there's something that we need to, to keep in mind. He's going to be, be praying for the preservation of these 11 disciples. But someone asked me a really good question after the church service uh, last Sunday. He said, well, but it, why is it not that Jesus is praying for all believers everywhere? Uh, why is it just he's praying for these 11? Do we, do we glean anything from uh, what Jesus is praying for these 11? And I said, oh, that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful question, and I want to clarify that. So in the, in the context here, we see that Jesus is praying immediately for the 11. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, he hasn't lost any of them except one, which would be uh, the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot, uh, the one who was uh, destined to betray him in the, according to the Scriptures. But what Jesus is going to pray here in our passage this morning, specifically for the 11, we are told elsewhere that he's going to be praying the same thing for all believers. And so there's an immediate context and application, and there's a broader application and context of, again, we're getting a glimpse of the priestly intercessory ministry of our high priest, Jesus Christ, who prays on our behalf even now. And so there's multiple layers to this, but he's going to be praying for his 
disciples to be kept by God, to be uh, preserved. And, and I want to uh, kind of look at this passage and see, first and foremost, why or what he prays. What is he saying when he is asking and petitioning God to keep the disciples? Uh, and then why is he asking that? Why is it important that Jesus would spend time before he goes to the cross to be praying that God the Father would preserve these men that Jesus has been discipling? And and I want to look at that. So what is the the command? What is the petition uh, that that Christ is is making of God the Father? And then what are the reasons that he makes that petition? And I want to just pause and and pray briefly and and petition God to, to lead us and guide us as we study this passage this morning. Holy Father, you are worthy of all glory, honor, praise, adoration. Not only from us, but from the entire creation. We long to see you glorified and lifted up among all the nations by every tribe and every tongue. We thank you for your written word that that we have before us. And we understand that it is a blessing to have such a translation in our own language. May your word now nourish our souls. May it give us hope. May it help us to see and understand who you are. What you have sent your son to accomplish on our behalf. Help us to see Christ clearly this morning as we study your word. May he be exalted and may we be built up, we ask in his name. Amen. So as we, as we look at verses 11 through 16, we see initially the, the, the petition that Christ makes. And, and it's just a, a simple phrase there in, in verse 11 uh, where, where Jesus is going to say, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Simple petition. Uh, and the idea of, of keeping or guarding uh, is, is the essential idea to, to set a watch over uh, someone or something. Uh, the same word is used in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, uh, when uh, the apostle Peter is in prison. Uh, it, it's translated as uh, that the guards were in front of the door of his cell and they were keeping watch uh, over the, the prison. Uh, the same word is also used uh, when it's used in terms of where when a Christian is the object being uh, watched over or guarded. It's often translated as to protect or to preserve uh, or to keep unharmed or to keep undisturbed. And that's that's the idea here uh, in what uh, our passage this morning uh, where Christ is praying that for God the Father to preserve uh, his disciples. But the same word is also, uh, again, used in. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, a uh, benediction says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the idea of, of being kept has this, uh, this concept of, of being watched over, being protected and guarded. Uh, but the, we saw the, the same word used earlier in uh, this upper room discourse as Jesus was instructing the disciples in John chapter 14. If you turn back over to John chapter 14, uh, verse 21 uh, and 15 and other places here uh, in in this uh, section uh, where the idea is, if you love me, you will 
keep my commandments. Jesus is instructing the disciples and calling them to obey and to hold fast, to to persevere in uh, following him in faith. Uh, And so it's interesting, in chapters 13 through 16, you have Jesus instructing the disciples uh, and telling them, hey, stay, keep my commandments, walk in obedience to all that I've commanded you. And then we have uh, Jesus praying to God the Father saying, hey, please keep them uh, in your name, keep them where they are. Uh, And and that's the idea of that that phrase, in your name. And he says, the name which you have given me. Uh, A couple uh, weeks ago we talked about uh, the name of God being synonymous with the power of God and the character of God, that those, those go hand in hand. And so really what, what, what Jesus is praying uh, for the disciples, he's saying, preserve them by your power, God, and according to your character. May they, may they run to you and may they be safe in you. The, kind of the idea of uh, Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower and the righteous runs into it and is set securely on high. And I think in this passage there's also a little bit of a... Uh, a if you can kind of imagine with me what is what Jesus is praying for. He says they, these men have been taken out of the world, right? They're no longer of the world. Now, that's what God the Father does in salvation. He takes us out of the world, and then where does he do with us? Well, we're not in limbo somewhere, but he places us in him. Uh, we, we are placed in the, the name of God and united with God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit dwelling inside of us. So we are in God and God is in us. This is this mystery, our union with Christ that we've talked about in, in weeks gone by. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, verses 3 and 4 talk about this. The Apostle Paul says, For you have died and your life has been hidden, think about this, with Christ in God. And Jesus is saying, Lord, keep God, keep them in your name. Keep them there. You've taken them out of the world. Now keep them exactly where you have placed them and where you want them to be. In essence, he's saying, preserve them as what they now are. Men set apart from the world, dedicated to serving and living for you. And this idea of, of keeping, one uh, Bible commentator says, uh, that the keeping means everything. The keeping from falling away, keeping from evil doctrines, keeping from being overcome by sorrow or in tribulation and suffering. Keep them in life and in death. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a guard and preserve them. That, that is the, the prayer of Christ here. Uh, and he, he prays this not only for uh, the 11 disciples here, but, but as Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God, he's praying that for us right now. If you, if you turn uh, with me over to Romans chapter 8. A passage that you are probably familiar with. But, but following the, the flow and the logic of this passage, I mentioned it briefly last week where it, it talks about the, the, what Jesus is doing for us right now. Praying. But, but what flows out of Christ's prayer for us is our absolute security. Romans 8, beginning in verse 33, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And then immediately after talking about the the, the ministry of Christ, what does the Apostle Paul go to? Nothing can tear us away from the love of Christ. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither height, or I'm sorry, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ's intercessory prayer for the saints is what makes us secure. This is a profound reality that we see Jesus praying here in John chapter 17. Those who are in Christ will be preserved in any and every circumstance in life and death. Can we just give a hearty amen to that? Amen. amen. But, but because that is true, that doesn't mean that we can just uh, sit back and do nothing. There, there's two, two sides to this divine truth. We have God's preservation, which Jesus is praying right here, but we also have the believer's perseverance. God's preservation is his action of safeguarding his people, safeguarding the elect, those who are in Christ. Uh, And uh, if you are in Christ, no one is going to to fall away. But but on the other flip side, uh, uh, we are called and commanded over and over again, numerous places throughout the Bible, that we are commanded to persevere. So God uh, preserves us and we're commanded to obey. The believer's perseverance means that we continue to walk in faith. Uh, We continue to walk in obedience uh, and trust in Christ even through all of those uh, experiences that Paul laid out in Romans 8. In every one of those uh, struggles and trials that we walk through, are we commanded to endure? Absolutely. And God will preserve us through all of that. So God's preservation and our perseverance go hand in hand. And they, uh, again, two sides of the same doctrine that we are commanded to, uh, to, to trust in and obey. Uh, so we we're, uh, need to, to be diligent to persevere and we need to be encouraged by the fact that God will preserve us. Uh, there is no uh, elimination of our responsibility. Uh, and so, but this is, this is what Jesus is, is praying for. This is what he's petitioning God for. Uh, the, the preservation of his people. And so he offers up this petition for the 11 disciples and, and every other believer uh, after them, uh, every person in the, in the church age. Uh, but, but I want to just ask, why does Jesus make this prayer uh, right here and right now? Uh, why, why does he petition God in this way? Uh, and uh, the remainder of this passage, I think, lays out Christ's thinking and his, his heart for uh, his people and why he is concerned. Why is he praying this? And I would say that there's five reasons that we see here in the rest of this passage that Jesus uh, makes this petition on behalf of his people. Uh, and, and the first of those is seen in verses 11 and 12. Uh, and it's because Jesus is going to the Father. And this is uh, something that we've already seen uh, throughout uh, the upper room discourse in chapters 13 through 16, that, that Jesus is leaving and he's seeking to prepare his people. He's going to be sending a helper uh, to be with them. Uh, and it's interesting that the, the helper is not mentioned at all. The spirit's not mentioned at all uh, during the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. But we know that the spirit is going to come and to be with uh, the disciples, even though Jesus is departing. But Jesus is praying uh, for God the Father to preserve uh, the disciples, because the beginning of verse 11, he says, and I am no longer in the world. 
A little bit of anticipation there because Jesus knows that uh, there's one more day and then he's going to uh, be crucified and then he's going to be resurrected uh, and then eventually he's going to be with the disciples for 40 days and then ultimately uh, ascend uh, after uh, a period of time uh, with them. And so, but he's anticipating his obedience uh, and that his time on the earth is coming to a close. He says, I'm no longer uh, of this world uh, and yet they themselves are in the world. Uh, and I come to you. So Jesus is going to be uh, departing. And then in verse uh, 12, we see what was kind of happening in, in the background over this entire period of Christ's ministry while he was there with the disciples on the earth. He was the one guarding them. He was the one keeping them. Uh, verse 12, it says, while I was with them, I was keeping them. There's our word in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them. And that's a different Greek word. And the idea is that, that Jesus was their sentinel. He was the guard on duty to protect them throughout his entire earthly ministry. He doubles up the, the, the words and the ideas of that he was there to guard them and to protect them in every single way. Now, then he says, and not one of them perished. Right? That's how good of a guard Jesus is. But then he says, but there was one exception. Right? We, we can't leave him out. And it's important that he is uh, talked about be, and he, that he, he told the disciples ahead of time that Judas was going to, uh, to betray him that, because it would have really shaken their faith. Uh, and they would have had questions about, well, did Judas fool Jesus? Right? That's a very, very important uh, question to, to wrestle with. Right? So Jesus is making it clear, no, I was not fooled by Judas. I knew what was in his heart the entire time. I knew he was going to, to fall away. And now I want, you to, I want you to know that I know that he was going to fall away. And that's going to be an encouragement to you. So Jesus is laying all of this out for them uh, and acknowledging uh, that God the Father was also uh, played a, a part in this. Because it, all of uh, Judas's uh, betrayal was foretold uh, in the Old Testament hundreds of years ahead of time. He says his wandering away from Christ was a fulfillment of Scripture. It didn't ruin God's plan. It fulfilled God's plan. But because Jesus, who had been protecting them during his entire earthly ministry, now he's going away. Jesus is lifting them up and saying, God, please preserve them. Keep them. I was doing that, and now I'm entrusting that uh, to you. As Jesus is going to return to be uh, with God, uh, the Father in heaven. That's the, the first reason that he makes this petition, because he's going to the Father. And there's a second reason for this petition. It's, it's at the end of verse 11. And throughout this uh, chapter 17, there's a, there's a word that I want you just to, to pay attention to. We'll circle back around to it more and more. But there's certain words in the scriptures that will, that will give you clues about how to read and understand. And there's a word that. Uh, in the, the Greek, it's a hina. Uh, and the, 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 this word tells us about purpose uh, of w what is happening and why is it happening. Uh, and this, this word hina is used 19 times in 26 verses in chapter 17. Uh, and it's often translated that or so that or in order that it's going to reveal uh, the purpose and the desire of Christ for his people. If you look at uh, uh, verse thir uh, the end of verse 11, so keep them in your name, which you have given to me that there's our word that they may be one even as we are. So, so this is the this is the heart. This is the desire of Christ. This is why he's praying for them to be kept and preserved. He wants them to experience the unity that God the Father and God the Son have experienced from eternity past. 
Uh, and so help them to experience that type of unity. Keep them in your name. Uh, and uh, what, we, what we're going to, to see later on in, in uh, this chapter, beginning in verse 20, uh, Jesus is going to, to, again, transition his prayer away from the, the immediate 11 disciples. And he's going to pray for, verse 20 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is in essence going to be praying for every believer during the, the church age. Uh, and he's going to be praying in verses 20 through 26 uh, for unity in a very profound way. And we'll spend more time on that in, in, when we get to that uh, text uh, in the future. But, but he's, he hints at it here. Uh, I want these disciples, these men to experience unity as you and I experience and know unity. Uh, that is Christ's uh, desire. Uh, and uh, this is uh, easily seen, this unity that there exists among believers, right? Uh, if, if you were to, to go and meet a believer from another country, right, there's immediately a, a kinship there. And why is that? Because we are united to Christ. Yeah, there's immediately a common ground. You meet somebody else, even if it, uh, another country, you don't, may not even speak their, their language and you can't communicate them, but there's immediate uh, a kinship because they're a spiritual brother or sister. They're an immediate uh, uh, fellowship. You have immediate fellowship and friendship with them because you're, you're both following after the same Lord and Savior. Uh, and that's, what, that's the unity that, that Christ is praying for uh, the 11 and ultimately all of his disciples uh, to experience. And that's why he's, he's asking God the Father to keep and to preserve them and to preserve the unity among believers. But then he, he lists a, a third reason uh, for the, his uh, petition for the, the disciples' preservation. It's found in verse 13. It says, but now I come to you, which is already spoken about. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. So we see another, another purpose for this prayer, another outcome that Christ longs to see God the Father work in his people is that uh, the disciples would experience joy, deep satisfaction and abiding joy. If you, if you turn back over to, to John chapter 15, again, all of what... Jesus instructed the disciples in chapters 13 through 16. He is now, in essence, praying would come to fulfillment in John chapter 17. We look at chapter 15, verse 11. And when he, when he says these things uh, in uh, our verse in chapter uh, 17, verse 13, uh, he's talking about everything that he had just told the disciples. So when you see these things, it's all of chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, and he's going to say that uh, here in verse uh, 11 of chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus wants the disciples to get a, a taste of uh, his own joy. And the joy of Christ was to obey God the Father, to, to do the, the will of God the Father on earth. And that was the, the deepest and most profound joy and satisfaction that, that Christ uh, ever experienced. And he wants uh, us to have that same joy and that same experience uh, and for that to be fulfilled to the max. Uh, th that's the idea. This is what Jesus is, is praying for, uh, that we would experience true joy. And true joy comes from being in Christ and trusting in Christ and from walking in Christ. Right? We all have probably experienced times of when we are, we are in Christ because we have trusted in him. But then when we have sinned and disobeyed, do we have joy? No, right? There's, it's misery to be in Christ, but then be disobeying him. 
Right? Our conscience just, just uh, weighs upon us so uh, heavily, uh, and we, we know we have to do something. Something needs to be confessed, and we need to repent. There's no joy from being in Christ but not walking according to his word. True joy comes from being in Christ and from obeying Christ. And that's what Jesus is, is praying for. And that's going to be, again, a foreshadowing of what he's going to pray for in verse 17. What, what does he pray for? He says, God the Father, please sanctify them. Transform them, set them apart for holy use. And how does that come about? Your word. We'll look at that more next week. But, but Jesus here is, is praying for uh, them to experience his joy. That they would be built up and, and satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. That's the, the third reason. But then a fourth reason that Jesus prays for preservation is found in verse 14. Because the world hates them. Jesus says, I have given them your word. And we saw that last week when, when Jesus was giving his report about how he, uh, he has poured into the disciples. He said, that, Father, the word that I've received from you, I've passed on to them. Jesus speaks about that again. I've given them your word. They're prepared. They're equipped. But... He says, the world hates them. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. But what is this world that he is speaking of? We, we've, we've talked about this in the past, but I, I love the way John MacArthur defined it. He says, the world is the system of sin that dominates this realm. It's the, the corruption, the demonic power, the human power of sin that literally controls the world under the leadership of Satan and his demons. That's the world. And he had four D's that described uh, the world. It, it is dark, demonic, dangerous, and deadly. And, and Jesus says the world has hated me. saw that earlier in John chapter 15. Tells his disciples, don't be surprised when the world hates you because it, it hated uh, me first. But this has been a theme throughout John's gospel. That the world uh, despises and rejects the light. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and that men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God. In John 7, 7, Jesus says uh, to his brothers, he says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I bear witness about it that its deeds are evil. So uh, what Jesus has done for every single believer, he's... he's plucked us out of this hostile world system and he's placed us in the triune god we have fellowship with god the father god the son that the spirit dwells within us and we have been transferred into the name the power and the kingdom of god and because uh, the disciples of jesus are, are no longer of the world different thoughts different affections different lord uh, different goal in life all of these things and the, the world hates all who follow after Christ. And so Jesus is, is praying, Lord, preserve them. They're going into hostile territory. They are in hostile territory. 
that they need to be kept and protected. This is why Jesus prays. But then there's a, there's a fifth reason that Jesus prays for their preservation. This is in verses 15 and, and 16. And verse 16 is going to say much of what was just echoed and said in verse 14. But, but look first at verse 15. Jesus is going to, to clarify what he's asking. And this is, this is the fifth reason that, that Jesus is praying this petition. Because they, the disciples, must remain as a witness in the world. He says, I do not ask to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus is not asking for the disciples to be taken out of the world. And that would, if, if we knew some of the trials that we would face in the future, we would probably say, Lord, can you just take me home now? Like, is that okay? Can I, can I avoid some of that heartache and some of those difficulties? Right? Anyone here want to immediately sign up for, for suffering, persecution? Our flesh doesn't want that. We want ease and comfort. But here Jesus is saying, no, don't, don't take them out of the world. Don't do what is easiest for them. Don't immediately bring them up to heaven to be in your presence. Don't take them out of the world. That's basically what he's saying. That's not my prayer clarifying the prayer is basically saying I want them to be kept protected from the evil one and, and Jesus in essence is praying for the disciples to remain in the world is because what, is it, what did it say in verse 18 in this chapter I know we'll look at it next week but did you catch it when we read the full chapter Jesus says as you sent me into the world I also sent them into the world God the Father sent God the Son, and now God the Son is sending His disciples into the world, into that hostility, into the darkness, to shine forth. Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, He says to these same men, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the end of the earth. Jesus is, is leaving the disciples behind, not just because he wants them to suffer, but because he, he's giving them a mission. He, he's leaving them behind and saying, I'm sending you out into the world to be my witnesses, to be faithful ambassadors, to represent your king who is not here. He's in heaven. Now that, that's the, the mission that Christ is sending every single one of his disciples to accomplish. And because we are remaining here on the earth uh, as witnesses, we need protection. First John five nineteen, the Apostle John says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And this is the, the world that we are called to, to go out into and to proclaim. We're to, to go out into the darkness of this world with the lantern of the gospel. We go into hostile territory proclaiming the good news of the gospel and shining forth the light of Christ because there are some out there in the dark who will respond to the light. Most people, when the light shines, uh, we talked about this back in, way back in John chapter 3, some, there are some people who will be like cockroaches. Right? When the light shines, what do cockroaches do? 
They scatter. But, and there are other people who are like moths. When the light shines, what do moths do? They, they, they come to the light. And we don't know how people are going to respond until we do what? Until we shine the light. Until the light comes on. And then when they see and behold the light, hearts are revealed. And so we need to be faithful to do what? To shine forth the light of Christ. That is what he is sending us out into the world to do. And we need to be faithful to do that. But we're going into hostile territory. And we have to understand that we're going to be under attack from the world and from the evil one. And so Jesus prays for preservation, for protection. I love the way D.A. Carson puts this. He says, doubtless, Christians in John's day were forced to ponder the implications of this prayer. So also were those who were contemplating the possibility of becoming Christians. As as we heard today from our, our report earlier, in other parts of the world, there is a very, very high cost to following Christ. You don't just immediately jump into that decision because the implication is, well, if I go and if I'm baptized, if my family finds out about this, I may have a death warrant. My own family may become my enemies seeking to to murder me because I've chosen to follow after Christ. And, And so this is a significant statement that Jesus is praying for and the reality of what he's laying out here. D.A. Carson continues, The cosmic spiritual nature of the conflict is laid bare. The followers of Jesus are permitted neither the luxury of compromise with a world that is intrinsically evil and under the devil's power, nor the safety of disengagement. Right? That, that's what we would, uh, in our own flesh, desire. Right? Can we just have peace and ease? And that's what, indeed what we're called to pray for in First Timothy. Right? Can we live peaceable lives under uh, a civil government? That's what we should be seeking, but that's not always possible. But if the Christian pilgrimage is inherently perilous, the safety that only God himself can provide is assured as certainly as the prayers of God's own dear son will be answered. This is a tremendous hope when we are facing persecution, when we are facing trials and struggles. And you might even ask, but what exactly does this look like if believers are kept from the evil one? Why is it that there are so many who who suffer from their faith? So in what sense are we kept from the evil one if the evil one is still coming after us? And we experience hardship. In our own country, it can be that you may uh, lose relationships if you stand for Christ. Maybe that you lose your job if you stand for Christ. You may be uh, attacked uh, and vilified uh, in a variety of ways in our own culture, but elsewhere around the world, you may, you may suffer the loss of your home, your livelihood. Your, your children may be put in danger if you're going to stand for Christ. So in, in what sense are, are we protected as Christians? Well, being kept from the evil one does not mean that we will never suffer hardship and persecution in the Christian life. Rather, it means that we are, we are kept by God, not to be happy and healthy and wealthy, but to what end? To what purpose? That we would fulfill, yeah, to, to what, we, what is our purpose in life? To glorify God. Right? That, that's the beginning of Jesus' prayer. And he's going to the cross. And he's going to suffer the ultimate death. 
And he's praying that same reality for his disciples. That we are kept by God not to be uh, perfectly safe and perfectly happy and to have everything that we want. We are kept by God to fulfill his plans and his purposes. Uh, there's, a, there's a Christian saying, I couldn't find out, trace it back to the original, but it says that every man is immortal until his work is done. All right? We all have works uh, that God has called us to fulfill, uh, and we need to be faithful and persevere in obeying them and doing what God is calling us to do. Uh, and we trust our safety to, to God, even as we, we got to hear some amazing stories this morning of people really trusting, really committing their lives, their, their livelihoods uh, to the Lord but having a desire to glorify him and to walk in obedience and with a desire to tell others about who Jesus is. Very encouraging and challenging to my own soul this morning. And if Christ prayed for the preservation of his disciples, he's praying that for us now. Shouldn't we also echo Christ's prayer? Shouldn't we emulate his prayer? So one of the things that we should be praying for regularly as a church and individually uh, is the preservation of God's people around the world. That, that he would safeguard them, that he would keep them, that they would be faithful to fulfill the works that he has planned for them. And that they would be willing to go out and face a hostile world, to face a hostile culture. And to be faithful ambassadors for him. During the, the winter months here in Idaho, when it's, it's cold and, and wet, it's easy for kids to get uh, cabin fever from being inside all day. And all the, the parents of young children said, Amen. Uh, I remember, I think earlier uh, or later last year in December, it was uh, the kids were just after dinner, they're bouncing off the walls. So I'm like, Okay, get your, get your coats. Get your flashlights. We're going to just go and walk around the block. We'll go check the mail. We just got to get out of the house. Okay. Uh, and so the, the, the kids uh, get their coats, get their, get their flashlights, uh, and, and we go for the walk. But, but what would have happened if I said, okay, I, I, I go with them to the door, and then I stop right there. And I send my children out. say, okay, go check the mail. Let me know how it goes. Sending you on a mission. Right? My kids would be like, what? What, 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 do, you, what do you want me to do? I can't, I can't do that. Right? They, they would have been terrified. They, you know, suddenly, uh, dad's not with them. It's a little bit of what the disciples are, are feeling right now. Right? They're, they're being sent out by Jesus, and he's saying, no, no, I'm not going with you. You go. This is what I'm sending you to do. Go out into the darkness. Shine the light of the gospel and be faithful. But here's also the, the, something to, to remember. Christ is praying this in, in here in John 17. But in Matthew 28, when he gives the great commission to the disciples, he says, go out into all the world, going uh, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then what is the last thing that he says there? I am with you an exact amount of time. Always. So he doesn't say, I'm never going to see you again. So he's praying for uh, the disciples to be preserved, to be kept. And how do we know that that's going to take place? How can we rest assured that will happen? It's because Jesus is 
with us always in every and every circumstance. And that should give us courage and boldness and comfort no matter what we are facing, no matter where we live around the world. God's word is always true and a comfort and a blessing. Amen.